It's time now for the Pulpit Hour, featuring some of God's choice preachers. Stay tuned at the end of today's message for information on how you can obtain a copy of today's sermon. I want to look tonight, if you will open your Bibles, to 1 Samuel chapter 16. While you're turning there, I want to read a couple of three verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where the Bible says in verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world And things that are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. Somebody would say, well, why in the world would God choose such a motley crew? Why would God not incorporate the world's best? Because he gives the answer in verse 29 that no flesh should glory in his presence. He said the reason God takes nobodies and incorporates them into his way is that he would get all the glory for it. It's that God would receive all glory. If you really think that you're somebody, then you're not too usable in the work of God. But when you realize you're a nobody and he's everything, then you get to the place to where God may have something for you to do that would bring glory to his name. Is that not right? The reason that there's not as much God being experienced in these days is because there's too much of us that's involved in it. If I can get rid of as much of me as I can, then maybe the the world can see God as he is. Oh, how we need to understand that truth. Bible says in Romans 6 that I was crucified with Christ. This old flesh should be dead. Uh, But it's not. But there is a place that we can get it that it is immobile. And that's the place that God wants us to be. Somebody said, well, how would I know when I've gotten there? Well, let's look at Lazarus in the tomb or before he gets there. Lazarus, I don't like you. Well, he don't care. 
He's dead. Boy, you're doing a good job, Lazarus. Whether you're negative or positive, it don't bother him. He's dead. Boy, I don't like what you're wearing. Doesn't bother him. And I wouldn't wear that kind of shirt if I was you, Lazarus. Don't bother him. He's dead. <laughs> He's dead. You can say all you want to say about him. He won't ever respond. There's only one voice he can hear. There's only one voice that he's tuned to. And that's the Lord. Oh, may God get us there in these days. Notice, if you will, remember the scripture that I read about God's choice of workers. Notice, if you will, in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 16. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil. And go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I'm come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. And come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Elab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the height. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all the children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down 
till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let me leave off reading there tonight. And I recognize that's rather a lengthy portion of Scripture. But I want to deal tonight uh, here with God's choice of David and the man that God chose to replace the man that he had refused. It lets me know that there is some, some things that God refuses in the work of God and then there are some that he chooses in the work of God. Certainly that is right. At just not anybody and everybody would be God's choice at for the work of God. We certainly must understand that. Bible says that we're saved by grace. And then it also says that we that are saved in Ephesians chapter 2, that we're saved by grace. And then through that same grace, we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus and two good words. The same grace that saved me is the same grace that sustains me and the same grace that helps us to continue on. I want to preach tonight from this passage here on grace at work. Grace at work. Let's ask the Lord to help us, Father. Thank you for the great privilege you've given us together tonight in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for the wonderful at singing by the congregation and the choir and the good specials tonight. Thank you for the good presence of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that the message tonight would not be a, 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 a boring oratory to this congregation, but I pray, God, that you would anoint it by the Holy Ghost. There could be some young man or lady at Lord here that God would want to employ. I pray, oh God, that you would work your will and your way in their hearts. I pray you would arrange the atmosphere of this time tonight as you would so design and that every height would be arranged to receive the word of God with gladness. And then I pray for those here that are unsaved that you might bring them unto the acknowledgement of yourself. And for whatever is accomplished, you will receive all the glory for it. For it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name we pray, amen. Aren't you glad tonight for the wonderful workings of the mighty grace of God? Aren't you glad that it's grace that sought you out and found you? I'm certainly glad for the wonderful grace of God. Have Brother Doug, if you had a son, do you have a son? If you had a son and some man came and took your son's life and, uh, and then he got away and after the funeral procedures, you went after that man 
And if you took his life, that would be justice. But if you went after that man and you found him that took your son's life and you said, that, sir, I don't hold anything against you, that you're free to go, that would be mercy. But if you said to that man that took your son, you, sir, took the life of my son, now I want you to come and take my son's place. That would be grace. And I'm telling you, my friend, there's nothing like the marvelous grace of God. It was my sin that held him on that old rugged cross. It was your sin that held him there. You and I are guilty of the death of the Son of God. But bless his high and holy name, even though we are guilty, there's a pardon being released. And I'm glad even though I'm guilty of his death, he's made me one of my sons, one of his sons, because of the wonderful grace of God. God, aren't you glad you're saved tonight? I'm glad I'm saved tonight, but not only saved, I'm glad that God's given me something to do and I'm a working in the work of God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? It's all the workings of God's grace. I want to look tonight, don't cut me off right here. I am not a hyper-Calvinist if I thought that you thought it, it'd upset me real bad. I don't even like them. I am not, I believe, whosoever will can come. I want to look tonight at the first thing I want to talk about is the selection of grace and the family that grace worked in. You see, before David ever came to the throne, Way back yonder, God had a plan. And God began to work in David's family. Even before David was ever thought of, I'm glad God knew about him. That's how much I believe about God, that our God can set things in motion back yonder. And he's such a big God that it will come to pass. I believe in the providence of God. I believe that he knows the future. If I didn't believe that, I'd be chewing my fingernails all plumb up to my shoulder. But I'm not in charge. But praise God, I'm, I'm in the family of one who is in charge. Hallelujah. And I don't have to worry about it. It's all going to come to pass just like he said it was going to. Thank you, Brother Matthew. I believe that. Providence is made up of two Latin words, pro-video. And pro means before. And video means to see. I'm glad that God has pro-video. I'm glad that he can see before it ever comes about. And not only can he see it, but he arranges it to come about. I'm glad, hallelujah. Hey, the Bible said that you and I that saved by the grace of God, we are to run this race with patience. That's what marked out, hallelujah. I'm glad I'm governed in. I'm glad I, it's marked out. I'm glad I belong to him and he belongs to me. So, I see God had a plan. 
And that plan's still working today. This is just a little insert in it. I see here, back up here, and let's look a little bit at David's genealogy. Back in Ruth chapter 4, we won't labor long here. I told you last night, I'm wore out and I'm old. But when I get in an atmosphere like this, I ain't no hurry. If you have to go, help yourself. But when I get to enjoy this, I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> Notice, if you will, in the end of the book of Ruth, chapter 4, and uh, you can begin with verse number 18, and it begins there with David's pedigree. It begins there, and the very last word in the book of Luke, I'm sorry, the book of Ruth, the very last name is David, and the book closes out. You see, that book of Ruth is about God's redemptive plan. <laughs> but anyway, it closes out with the man David who's going to sit on the throne. And then the Lord Jesus one day is going to continue on, and he's going to resit on the throne of who? Of David. Hallelujah. Now I'm, <laughs> well, at my, I just, hey, I gotta get I gotta get narrowed down here now. It says here, uh, it goes on, it begins to give at David's ancestry. Come, if you will, to verse number 21. Notice what it says. And, uh, and, uh, and Salmon, there's a man by the name of Salmon. Now, you say, well, who in the world is that? Well, you don't have to turn unless you would like. But over in Matthew chapter 5, there's another genealogy. It's a genealogy from which the Lord Jesus would come. And guess who's found there? Notice, if you will, in verse number 5, it says, And Salmon beget Boaz of Rahab. Now listen to me very carefully. You'll find if you would notice that Salmon is David's great-great-grandfather. And back yonder, way back yonder, Salmon, I believe, was one of the two spies that Rahab let down out of that wind. And I believe he fell in love with her there. Yeah, I'll have to wait till I get to heaven to prove it, but I, I feel good in my soul about saying it. And I personally believe that he was one of those. And I believe that as, as she let them down, he said there's something about this lady. And when the walls of Jericho fell, she was outside the camp. And I believe they ended up getting together. But what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that Salmon was David's great-great-grandfather. But guess who his great-great-grandmother? It was Rahab. <laughs> hey, I want you to know something. If God can take Rahab and put her in the family of the Lord Jesus, you better know it's grace at work. You better know that's grace at work. <laughs> I see here in Rahab a picture of the recovering grace of God. I don't have time to deal with this, but if you'll study Joshua 6, you will find that when the walls fell, there's been a lot of speculation on how in the world Rahab survived when her home was on the wall. And then when the walls fell, how did Rahab survive? 
Well, the Bible says that Joshua had said to the spies, you go get Rahab and bring her without the camp. In other words, when the walls fell, Rahab had already exited out. She was already saved. Now I'm going to tell you when the judgment of God hits this world, I'm going to be gone. And if you're saved by the grace of God, you are too. I'm glad that's part of the recovering grace of God. I don't have time to deal with this. But if you'll notice in Hebrews, Rahab's mentioned. And it's, she's called the harlot Rahab. James chapter 2, she's mentioned again. And it says Rahab the harlot. But when you come to Matthew 1, where is the lineage from which the Lord Jesus comes? It's just plain old Rahab. <laughs> it ain't no harlot no more. Because you see, once you get recovered by the grace of God, I'm telling you, her harlotry is gone. She ain't what she used to be. And I'm not what I used to be. And you're not what you used to be. Well, I dare say we could start down this aisle, come back up this one, go down that one and back up this one. There's no telling who all's in here. Lord, have mercy, we'd blush. We'd, be, we'd drop our head in shame. If you knew what I was, you wouldn't want to hear me preach. And if I knew what you was, I wouldn't want to preach to you. But guess what? Guess what? Here we are tonight in the family of God. You know what that is? That's grace at work. That's grace at work. So, there is... Rahab, who was a former harlot. There we see the recovering grace of God. But back again in the book of Ruth, you said, and Salmon beget Boaz. Now, Salmon's daddy was Boaz. <laughs> now, Boaz happens to be the great grandfather. Of David. And I don't have to labor here. You know who that would make David's great grandmother? Ruth. Ruth. Rahab was a former heathen. I mean, a former harlot. Ruth was a former heathen. Down there in the land of Moab. But ain't it absolutely astounding that you can take a family? That gets completely out of the will of God. Goes to Moab and Naomi and Abimelech, Milion and Chilion. Completely out of the will of God goes to Moab. And God can take a negative, disgruntled family, turn it around and bring a woman back and put her in the family of God. Somebody said, well, I'd never win. Well, I'm going to tell you, where would Ruth come from if they had? I'm just trying to say all things do work together for the good to them that love God. And don't be surprised when God don't work right according to our own little box and our own little ideas. I'm glad there's folk that get in that I thought never would. Hallelujah. You know what that is? That's grace at work. I believe that, Brother Tommy. I believe that's grace at work. Some, I think, enjoying this. And I'm just trying to get us to understand, 
you'll never get to heaven if grace don't work in your direction. And I'm glad that it does, aren't you? Amen. I see there in, in, in Rahab, I see the recovering grace of God to a former harlot. In Ruth, I see the redeeming grace of God in a former heathen. And you come over to Matthew 1 again, and guess who again is in verse number 5? Ruth. Grace at work. Grace at work. Okay, we've seen the selection of grace, and the family grace is working in. But secondly, I want to talk to you about the seal of grace and the fashion that grace works in, the manner in which it works. When grace sets out, who's he looking for? Well, I should say, who's she looking for? When grace sets out, what would be the qualifications for grace? Well, it sure wouldn't be what would come from the White House. But it's the nothings and the nobodies. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Praise God. Woo. I'm going to tell you, I'd probably be in hell tonight if I was a kept ahead in the way I was a going in my unsaved condition. But at the age of 27, God saved me by His grace. He had dealt with me many times before. But that particular morning, I felt like it was the last time somebody said, you'll never know. I'm glad I don't have to ever know. I'm glad that morning I cried out unto Him. And I'm glad that grace that had been at work brought me to the feet of the Lord Jesus and covered me in His amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Aren't you glad for grace? Now, in the text that we read, in 1 Samuel 16, God says to Samuel, Samuel, I want you to go over to Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? And there's a man there by the name of Jesse. Jesse's got a house full of boys. And Samuel, now here's what I want you to get, Samuel. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, but I'm going to point him out to you when you get there. See, you can hear a lot of things about a lot of people until you meet them. And then when the Holy Ghost starts pointing out some stuff to you, it sure does make a difference because he knows us and knows everything. And he said, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I want you to go and I want you to fill your horn with oil. I wonder why Samuel's oil horn was empty. The prophet and the priest which Samuel was both supposed to have his oil horn filled, horn oil, horn filled with oil. But God said, Samuel, before you ever go to anoint 
you better get a little oil yourself. And Samuel fills his horn with oil and heads out to Bethlehem. And after, when he gets there, he calls Jesse and all of his boys, he thinks. Samuel don't know Jesse. He don't know how many boys he's got. He left it up to Jesse. He said, Jesse, I want all you boys. Let's gather together. We're going to have a sacrifice. And I want you to bring them. Well, I see first of all here the misjudgment of Samuel. Samuel, to me, is the man that walked closest to God than anybody. You say, why is that? And I've, I've just, God's just gave me a message. I just completed it and I hadn't preached it. On ministering in the days when the glory is gone. Samuel, the whole, his whole ministry is when the glory had departed. And yet Samuel walked closer to God than anybody. Most of the glory of God's gone, but that don't mean you don't have to, that you have to get away from God. We can still walk with God with a departed glory. This country knows nothing about the glory of God and would kill it if they could. But I'm glad there's still a handful of us around. Let me run, hey, let me say this right here. Listen carefully to this. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for the amount of wickedness. Is that correct? They were a wicked crowd. But you see, Abraham is interceding for Lot who is in Sodom. And Brother Scott, Abraham said, God, if I can find 50 righteous, would you spare it? God said, I will. All the way down to 10. God, if I can find 10 righteous, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? God said, I will. But 10 righteous couldn't be found, so God had to rain fire and brimstone. Listen to this. God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for the amount of weakness. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for the lack of righteousness. The reason God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah is 10 righteous couldn't be found. You know what keeps pushing me on? You know what keeps pushing me on? Is that somewhere there'll be a little handful here and a little handful over yonder that still believes that God is. And if God is looking for enough righteous to keep the judging hand off of this country, maybe there will be enough, hallelujah. But one of these days, all the righteous is going to be caught out of here. And that's when judgment's going to fall. Oh, Lord, let's love him again. Let's fall in love with him again. Let's give him his due praise and glory. Let's not be ashamed of him. <laughs> See, we're the hated. We're the hated of the upper crust. You know what the upper crust is, don't you? Just a bunch of crimes held together by their own dough. And we're the hated. 
It's the political system that says we're, it's that fundamental crowd, the reason we're in the mess we're in. But what they don't know is this little straight-laced bunch is, is what's got the judging hand off of America tonight. Keep loving God, hallelujah. Keep praising God. Keep giving him glory. He is worthy. You may not say that we're much, but I'm telling you, God's a smiling on this little crowd. God knows who we are. You know what that is? That's grace. That's grace at work. Don't give up on God. The misjudgment of Samuel, and I've already read it. And see as Eliab comes before Samuel. And I can see Samuel without even hesitating, bringing that horn of oil up and get, getting ready to anoint whom God had refused. And I believe the Holy Ghost said, Samuel, Get that, get that horn down. Don't you spill a drop of oil on that one. Don't you let none of that oil touch that one because you're looking on the outward appearance, but I'm looking down on the inside. Boy, if we can ever get a hold that God knows who we are on the inside. And I, I, I called, I, I looked these words up, these names. You know what Eliab means? If I'm pronouncing his name right, I don't know. He probably don't mind. Do you know what his name means? Fleshly strength. He's the Charles Atlas of the boys. Now that looks funny, me doing that. But if he had done that, we would have went, whoo, wow, looky yonder. Man, what a man. But you see, what a man don't get no all. See, I call him Mr. Big. And the Bible said there in our text, not many mighty are called. Then notice, notice here in chapter 16 and verse number 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab. Now, why in the world would mama want to name her boy that? Come here, Benadab. That don't sound right. But that's his name. He can't help it. Jesse called Abinadab and uh, said, Now you pass before this man of God. And uh, the Lord said, uh, Samuel, don't you put no oil on that either. You see, the word, the name of Benadab means great generosity. In other words, Eliab is Mr. Big. Abinadab is Mr. Billfold. 
He's got the money, son. He's the type of boy, Mr. Generosity. He can sell sand in the desert and make millions. That's just the kind of fella he is. You know, I'm amazed at the churches that's looking for Mr. Big and Mr. Bilfo. I'm, I'm amazed at the meetings across the country that's looking for Mr. Big and Mr. Bilfo. I'm amazed at the meetings that gets great promotions that it's Mr. Big and Mr. Bilfo they're looking for. God said there won't be no oil put on that. Are you listening to me? They may have, Mr. Big and Mr. Bill Fall may get together. They may have a big turnout, but there won't be no all there. Now, I ain't fussing and I'm not controversial. I'm just a Bible preacher. I'm just simply saying they can get together and ask God for his blessings. But if Mr. Big and Mr. Bill Fogg get together and that's all they've got, no oil. And without any oil, there'll be no giants killed. <laughs> then I see in verse 9, a fellow said to me Monday night, said, Preacher, why do you talk so slow? I said, don't you know where I'm from? Tennessee. <laughs> Look at verse 9. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Samuel's getting worried now. I mean, here's the big boy, and here's the one that's got the bank. And now here's Shaman. You know what his name means? I was amazed. His name means astonishment. I call him Mr. Brilliant. He's the smart one of the family. He relies totally on his intellect. Matter of fact, he's the type that can stand on the, in the pulpit and keep you on the edge of your pew with his ability to uh, atorate. Is that a word? Doctor, you don't know. It is now. It is now. For his ability to speak, oh, would you listen? Man, I'm a man. Oh, but there ain't no all. <laughs> There's no all on Mr. Brilliant. And I'm going to say this right here. I believe you need to get all the education you can. But if education does away with the all, forget it and get the all. You can get more done with the all than you can your brilliance. You see, Mr. Mr. Bilfo couldn't get it because not many noble are called. And, and Mr. Brilliant couldn't get it because not many wise are called. Mr. Big didn't get it because not many mighty are called. Ain't that amazing? And then, I want to point out something here. I'm about done. We got we, we to kill Goliath. That's where we're headed. It's grace at work. Look at here. Look at here. Look at verse 10. Oh, look at it. I was reading this. 
Brother Dwayne, I, I, I said, again? Look at verse 10. Again. Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. Now, all of them passed by as far as Samuel knew. He still got a horn full of oil. Jesse comes and says, Now, Mr. Samuel, I know you're supposed to be God's man. But you better, you, you've missed it somewhere. Let me, uh, let me run these boys by again. And again, here comes Mr. Big again. And Mr. Brilliant and Mr. Billfold and all the other brothers passed through. And Samuel said, I'm sorry, sir. I'm trying to listen to God. I'm trying to listen to God. This is very serious, sir. There's going to have to be a king that's going to reign. There's go- God's going to have to have somebody to lead his people. And this is not a haphazard deal. There's much at stake here. I've got a plan, God says. And Samuel said, I'm sorry. I see not only the misjudgment of Samuel and the manliness of the sons, but I I see the meanness of Jesse. Now, you'll have to turn with me here because you won't believe it unless you do. The Bible said that they had seven sons to pass before Samuel. Is that not what it said there in verse 10? Go with me to 1 Chronicles 2. 1 Chronicles 2. Look at verse 13. Here is the generation of Jesse's, of Jesse's boys. Jesse began his firstborn ill. Abinadab the second, and Shammah the third. Nathaniel the fourth, Radii the fifth, Ozan the sixth. What's that next phrase say? David the what? Seventh. Most commentators right here is where they say there's an error in the Bible. But you see, I don't believe that. And it says here that David's the seventh. But yet before David ever gets there, seven's done pass by. One commentator said, well, I don't know hardly what to say about that. That's a real comment on that scripture. Some commentators, that's just what they are. Commentators. Here's what I believe. This is how how little Jesse thought of David. And you may be here tonight. You feel like that you're so insignificant. You've been pushed to the back. Nobody cares. And it's created some kind of phobia in you that you'll never amount to anything. You're the one God's looking for. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord.
That concludes our Pulpit Hour message for today. If you would like to order a copy of today's message, you can call our studios at 828-884-9427 or write to us at WGCR 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, 28768. You can also hear today's message on our website at WGCR.net. The Pulpit Hour is brought to you by Anchor Broadcasting.